Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Journey to Grateful podcast, a podcast focused on helping us understand the process of loss and grief with the help of those who are living it. I'm your host, Tim Begonia, and this is show number 83. Through this show, you and I will examine the details we've discovered during our grief journey. We will share our experiences through the podcast, the blog, and on social media while building a community that desires a more open understanding of what grief is, how it affects us all, and how best to navigate its difficult path. Be sure to join the community, subscribe to the podcast, and find quick links to do both over at journeytograteful.com. And if you like what you hear in the show, please share an episode and the podcast with someone you know who could benefit a community that understands the path they are currently on. Now, we understand that the loss of someone special comes with plenty of grief to navigate. How we navigate our grief is the key to how we journey through grief. Our goal should be to survive our loss for our loved one as well as for ourselves. But to do so, we need to understand grief better and beware of the tools available to do so. So let's explore how a healthy conversation with grief can help us accomplish this all. Today's episode title may come across in a confusing manner for most of my listeners. Are you in a healthy conversation with grief? A conversation, you're thinking, really? With grief? Yes, really. This is a multifaceted and a potentially complicated concept, but one which you will be able to follow along with, I promise. Here's what this episode's main title means in a broad sense. Just as with any day of your life so far, you may be having internal conversations with yourself. From experience, I know you are also having internal conversations specifically about your loss and the grief that followed. My goal here today is to examine what that conversation means for each of us. How might it be affecting your journey through grief, and what adjustments might be needed for you to have a more healthy conversation with grief? Along your grief journey, you may have discovered, or soon will discover, that most everything you once believed you knew about grief isn't quite what grief is shaking out to be. One such belief might be that grief follows a path, such as the well-known five stages of grief— Originally written in the 1969 book by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Death and Dying, this concept, this model, in fact, actually came about through the eyes of terminally ill patients facing death, not in light of existing loss and grieving. I recently discovered this detail as I was listening to a podcast whose guest was Krista St. Germain, a life coach for widowed moms and a host of the Widowed Moms podcast. You see, the five stages of grief was originally written as the five stages of death, based on Kubler-Wass's study with dying patients and the anticipation of their passing. The five stages of grief was adopted from this study, in what I would assume was to more easily explain grief, and are as follows. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. 
These five stages as listed are often wrongly believed to be an orderly process through the grief journey, as though once you pass from the first stage, you move on to the second and so on. Well, that's not exactly accurate. There's little doubt that the five stages was a convenient and easily digestible way to more easily understand some of the processes of grief, but it doesn't take into account the human mind and heart. It attempts to cookie-cutter the process, which is simply not possible. So, we as a society enter into grief believing this to be true, but we soon realize, although these stages may be present at one time or another, they can repeat, they can be messy, they can be disorganized, and they often have plenty of company with additional stages, like fall on your knees stage, or the now why the hell am I crying stage. I'm here to tell you those are actually two stages that do occur. But anyway, in my opinion, this is often where your conversation with grief may begin and where you may become surprised when the process, quote unquote, doesn't match up with what you believe you know to be true. You see, your conversation with grief can blow in forcefully, take over when and where it wants, and fill you with a feeling of confusion and anxiety. This conversation is actually more of an argument, sometimes a one-sided, stern discussion, to put it nicely. But internally, most everyone does indeed have a conversation with grief. It's truly inevitable. So let's discuss how to approach this, the frame of mind you need to consider. Your mindset associated with grief will be instrumental in determining if you have a more healthy conversation with grief during the first few weeks and as time moves on. Case in point, how often do you feel you might be quote-unquote doing grief wrong? That in and of itself is a mindset, an unspoken belief that you are doing it wrong simply by allowing that question to be present. It may arise because of your constant feeling of being lost in the process of grief. In addition, you discover you don't know what the next step is, or more accurately, what the next step quote-unquote should be. Now, spoiler alert, there really isn't a should-be in grief. Everyone's experience is different, and the process isn't always the same. So you may also find you believe you have to be sad, sullen, and deep in sorrow for a specific period of time before you can even consider anything else, like living life again. Krista St. Germain recently spoke of the dual process theory. For myself, this is a theory on grief I had never heard before, but one which I believe is a bit more useful. I'd like to share it with you because I believe this is an important mindset you may find helpful in your conversation with grief. You see, usually people experiencing grief for the first time believe they must work through the process of grief one thing at a time. Thus, the sorrow and then the sadness and the depression, the devastation must be experienced, processed, and dealt with before any movement forward can be considered. You may initially think this can take months, but in all honesty, it's more likely it'll take years. We also tend to believe there's a right way and a wrong way to do most things in life. Thus, we believe the same is true for grief. Or worse and more common, we believe there's a good way 
and a bad way. But the dual process theory teaches there are really two buckets of activities for which we can interact. The first bucket would be grief-related, loss-oriented activities, thinking about the loss, processing the feelings of loss. And then there is a more respite, non-loss-related bucket of activities, like having a hobby, perhaps, taking a break, doing something for fun, and simply put, living your life. Many feel they can't do these non-grief-related activities because if they do, They are avoiding their grief, or they are not as productive in working through their grief. But what the dual process theory encourages is walking through grief with a both-and mindset, meaning one can focus on grieving and living concurrently, both together. Because as Krista suggests, the true healing is in the oscillation, the give and the take, the back and forth with the loss-related pieces as well as the non-loss-related activities mixed in together. As you may have heard me say many times, grief has no end, just as the love you had and still have for your person has no end. The sooner you realize that you shouldn't view your sorrow and grief as a process that will end and clear out one magical day for you to then consider moving forward, the better you will be able to understand the dual process theory, and in turn, a better way through grief itself. In a more focused look, this dual process theory considers the ability and beliefs of a person to focus on grieving while also providing themselves permission to take a break and find pieces of life in which they can enjoy. So whether it be taking up a hobby, grabbing a movie with friends, maybe dinner out with a group of friends, whatever it is, each of these things added to your life along with your grief begins to create an intentional back and forth, which becomes a healthier way to live with grief because it neither allows you to wallow in your sorrow nor ignore your grief. Bottom line is this. The dual process theory encourages you to feel your grief when necessary while reshaping your life with actions and events that allow you to provide yourself permission to take a break from your grief. Permission. That's a powerful and sometimes daunting word in itself, because typically we aren't used to taking care of ourselves, are we? But to get through this thing called grief, to live each and every day ahead of us with a better, more healthy conversation with grief, we need to start realizing how vital it is to understand the importance of self-care. Providing yourself permission to live once again is one of the most important steps you can take for yourself on this journey with grief. And that, my friends, is self-care. Now, I'd like to shift the conversation to a more focused group of grievers. Those who have lost their partner, their spouse, their everyday person. I obviously relate more specifically to this group because of my personal loss, but Truly, grief is grief is grief. Loss and grieving is so similar and yet different for everyone, no matter who you have lost. So don't tune out if this group isn't you. The discussion will still be relevant. No matter who you have lost in your life, you may be able to find a few takeaways for yourself as well. 
Widows and widowers tend to struggle with confidence during their experience with loss, due in part to how closely their identity may have been related to their partnership. You may more easily believe that their largest struggle would be loneliness or the typical sadness, but truly, their confidence takes a hit, which can make them feel much more vulnerable. Many don't realize how closely their confidence was tied to their partnership. Let me illustrate this concept this way. The wedding ring. Some may not want people to see they are not married any longer. With the older generations, they may worry how people will judge them. They may feel devalued by the fact of not having a partner. There's also the lack of self-trust, the anxiety that may accompany decisions we now find we must make alone. A younger generation, those that were partnered for fewer years than the older generation, they may not want the world to think that they are back on the market, quote-unquote, so to speak. Why? They just are not ready for that. They might feel they don't believe they ever will be, and that's okay. And the accompanying drama that comes with that is simply just too much and honestly very daunting for them. Ultimately, no matter which group, many aspects of their identity are no longer evident. Typically, this may be a bit stronger issue with widows. But let's be honest, if you are partnered for any significant portion of time, widow or widower, how you saw yourself because of that partnership will drastically be altered and you will need to learn how to reestablish your identity in some way, oftentimes in a brand new way. This is an aspect of grief I'm sure those out there who are trying to support someone through loss haven't considered, and yet it is a huge piece of the puzzle, and honestly, one which seems obvious if only we take the time to fully consider it. So consider this. Someone who has lost their longtime partner may be thinking, who am I if I am no longer half a partnership we were building, shaping, and creating all those years? And I would like to speak of post-traumatic growth. Again, something I've learned through articles I've read, as well as Krista St. Germain, who in fact explains it very well. Krista suggests that anyone going through a traumatic event has three choices. The overarching idea here is that you have a choice to experience a level of wellness after a traumatic event that is worse to where you were, equivalent to where you were, or you can use the traumatic event to move to a greater level of wellness. This concept can translate into either deep depression, life back to close to normal, or a life with stronger connections, more satisfaction, and better independence. Here's a powerful analogy. Envision your longtime house was destroyed by a tornado. You will need to rebuild your house and find some way to move forward. In the aftermath, you decide to rebuild that house back to as close as possible to what you had lost. Or you can learn from things you may have experienced about that house over the years that you lived in it. Perhaps you could choose to rebuild it with adjustments to a few details, improvements here and there. In essence, you could take advantage of your experiences and your wisdom you have gained over the years to update the design. Rebuilding your life after loss can be viewed in a similar manner. Paraphrasing Krista St. Germain, 
leveraging what we've learned from life experiences to create more of what we want, that is post-traumatic growth. Now, of course, because of your loss, we all understand it is quite impossible to rebuild your life exactly as it was because your person is no longer here, but you can choose to approach your life going forward as one in which you can make adjustments and create what is good for you today. Keep in mind, there is no deadline, no timeline. There is no finish line to this at all. So regarding what grief is and what our goal should be, Krista goes on to say, Grief is all the thoughts and feelings we have about perceived loss. We're always going to have thoughts and feelings about the loss. To go from unintentionally thinking about our loss to thinking about it with intention and deciding who we want to be, given that the loss has happened. And here's a soundbite takeaway. Grief doesn't need to be solved. The end goal is not to end our conversation with grief, but instead to change the manner in which we relate to our grief or how we are talking to ourselves about grief. I need you to hear that last part once again, how we are talking to ourselves about grief, because our internal conversations very much shape our relationship with grief and our overall mindset with our loss. One thing we could all do today is toss out what we believe we know and have learned about grief. When we think of our feelings and problems, we tend to want to change our thinking to solve the feeling. But feelings are not problems. They are just experiences we've had which present themselves through our feelings. We need to continue a healthy conversation with grief. Why? To understand it better? And because if we build a strong relationship with grief and not hide from it, then and only then will we be able to find a healthy way through grief and begin to rebuild a life, our life, going forward. Thank you for joining me on the Journey to Grateful podcast. I'm so thankful that you are here each episode. Please stop by the community and let your voice be heard. Share your story or ask questions. I'm glad to help if I possibly can. Head on over to journeytograteful.com slash community to access our social media channels on Facebook and Instagram, request to become a guest on the podcast, or contribute to the blog with your own story. While you're on the site, sign up for my bi-monthly newsletter designed to provide you inspiration and motivation through your grief. Also, I invite you to contact with me via email. The email address is tim at journeytograteful.com. Or more importantly, why don't you give me a call, leave me a voicemail, or send me a text to 262-298-2428. That's 262-298-CHAT. And remember, if you like the show, please share the podcast with a friend. Take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show over at Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help the podcast grow and get in front of more people who need to have it as a resource. You can go to journeytograteful.com and choose the leave a review button on the homepage or on the podcast page.
And lastly, if you are searching for a more effective way to walk this path with grief and find a way forward, I invite you to consider engaging with me in my experience-based grief coaching. Whether you appreciate the benefits of a bereavement group, but you just don't want to wait until next month to get things off your chest, or perhaps you want to do a one-on-one coaching option directly with me, you can learn more over at journeythroughgriefcoaching.com. Now, I'd like us all to keep in mind the forever of grief as we move through our days. And when you see a friend who has lost their person, consider this. Just because someone carries it well doesn't mean it isn't heavy. Consider how you might help them carry their grief. Personally, a hug lifts the heaviest of loads. I'm just saying. Thank you again, my friends, for joining me today. Let me know your thoughts on today's episode or any previous episodes. And for those who are walking on their path with grief, I hope you find a way to walk more confidently on your journey to grateful. Bye-bye.